You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And now it's my time. Hey, everybody. How are you out there? This is Thomas flying solo here for In the Box. So happy to be with you. This podcast will talk to you about what went on in the week that was around the NHL. In addition to that, we'll take a look at what our Detroit Red Wings in particular did uh, this week in their four games going one, what was that, one, two, and one on the four-game stretch against four really good teams around the league. So not terrible, but we will get to that recap in just a moment. Um, Let's go ahead and start off by kind of changing up the format a little bit here. Normally, it kind of hit the scattershot approach around what was going on around the league. This time, I'm going to be trying to be a little bit more contained. We're going to go daily here. I think that's probably a much better way to kind of break down the news for you is to take a look at it daily. So let's go in last Sunday. What happened after we got off the air? And a couple of things happened, actually. The Flyers finally named their GM in Chuck Fletcher. Uh, he was the first, how about this stat, first non Flyers general manager since uh, 1994. Flyers have a history of kind of promoting within, and they finally went outside the organization to hire somebody um, to be take over their GM role. Fletcher was serving as a senior advisor in Jersey. Before that, he spent nine, year to, nine years as the Wild GM, which it's kind of interesting that he'd end up in, in Philadelphia because his... Emma with the Wild is kind of similar to what, what's been going on in Philadelphia. The Wild had these massively successful regular seasons, and yet these postseason runs that very rarely ever got out of the first round, if at all. So kind of an interesting sort of dynamic there, an interesting choice, if you will. But at the end of the day, um, he is going to take over the general managership in Philadelphia, and I think one of the, the the quick things, and stop me if you've heard this, the Flyers have already used five goaltenders this season. So I think first order of business is to stabilize the net situation. Is Brian Elliott a a a number one goaltender? You know, it if based on health alone, really he's not just because he does have so many health issues uh, that seems to kind of the rear their ugly head. He's been good when he's been in. It's just the problem is, is I don't know if he's been in enough to really help carry this team going forward. And that's going to be a difficult choice for the Flyers to make. Also last Sunday, uh, Sunday as we move on from the Flyers' new GM, and we'll keep an eye out on that during the course of the season, um, we got a milestone in the NHL. Jonathan Quick hit his 50th career shutout last Saturday, Sunday night as he beat the Canes in a shutout victory. So congratulations to Jonathan Quick getting shutout number 50 one that you felt feel like if he was somehow able to remain healthy or be healthier, that number would be much higher. Um, and now maybe even playing for a better team <laughs> that has a better chance to be higher. But still, congratulations! Fifty sn- shutout or uh, fifty shutouts in a season—nothing to sneeze at for a team. A, a, a little glimmer of bright sunshiny in a season that otherwise sees them at basically the bottom. Of the Western Conference, there's only one team below them, and would you believe me if I told you it was the Chicago Blackhawks currently, as of right now, sitting below the Los Angeles Kings 30 games into the season. I know, shocking how the mighty have fallen, but again, you can deal with falling when you have had three parades in a six-year stretch. 
I honestly believe that. I wouldn't trade any cup, any championship for anything. Uh, yeah, they got themselves into the, some cap hell, but at the end of the day, Chicago's still hoisted three Stanley Cups very recently. So they'll find a way out of it. Hopefully they can do it for their sake. Well, uh, Taze and Kane still young enough to be a part of the team, but uh, still a lot of hockey to be played this season. But they are kind of in an, in an interest. They are in a bad hole early on in the young season. From there, let's really covers what we missed on Sunday. Let's head to to Monday, and and it was you know we talked about it last Sunday. Willie Nylander getting the the contract signed. Uh, Nylander going to spend uh, get six, and I believe it was six against six point nine per year for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, kind of a contract that was signed uh, damn near at the at the buzzer from all reports, but he gets signed. And there's been, as you would expect, uh, I don't want to say, I I use the term fallout just because obviously it's just going to create a a string of events that have happened. And let's take a look at those, uh, talk about some of those events that have happened. Um, First of all, they needed to create roster space for him. So Josh Levo got traded over to the Vancouver Canucks for a prospect that uh, pretty promptly went down to uh, the Marlies. Nylander has come out and said that Dubai... The current general manager for the Toronto Maple Leafs has said to him that he won't trade Willie Nylander as long as he's the Leafs GM. And and I know that that's that may seem obvious, but up until this contract was signed, you know, the, Toronto had started fielding offers for for Nylander. They didn't. I, I don't know if anybody really knew what was going to happen um, with Willie. Was he going to sign? Was he not? And was he going to be traded? Was he not? Um, it ends up getting signed, and apparently. As the potential cap hell comes around the corner with needing to sign Marner and and Matthews, which is a, a conversation we got into pretty heavy last week, um, it appears that Willie Nylander will be staying in Toronto at least if the GM's good to his word, which, I mean, let's face it, um, oftentimes when stuff like that is said, it tends to be the exact opposite, the kiss of death, if you will, when an owner comes out and supports a coach. Uh, the coach tends to be fired three weeks later, but it'll be interesting to see how that boils down, what does boil down there. But uh, as of right now, Nylander has, it has been said that Nylander planning on or will not be traded as long as the current GM is in Toronto. He's played two games in his return, has not sc- recorded a point in either of the two games. His first game was the game um, on Thursday night against Detroit. So, and then he played again in the game last night against Boston. No points yet. Mike Babcock came out and said that it was actually probably unfair to play him without practice. So, uh, I don't want to say excuses starting already. Two games and, and no points. But Nylander's got that big contract now. And you know the the uh, the eye of the Toronto faithful and maybe more importantly media is going to be all over him especially after the lockout or the holdout you got to make sure that you're ready to go when you get back into the lineup uh so it'll be interesting to see how what kind of season Nylander has so far two games in and he has not yet recorded a point this also prompted Carolina to come out and say that they are looking for a quote-unquote top six forward ASAP they were a big player if you remember word was coming out that they could potentially be in the running for that deal 
for Nylander. I remember a couple of times seeing, you know, trade discussions were were high and Carolina in the center of them. You know, Carolina kind of going for it a little bit here. They it looks like they finally got the roster put together pretty well as they look to uh, kind of make a run. They're three points off the playoff pace right now with a game in hand against a team against Montreal who's one out. This has kind of been Carolina's M.O. for a while, though. And, and, you know, Walt and I frequently will talk about how Carolina always seems to be not that middling team, but, you know, one or two points out, one or two points short, one or two players short, one or two players out. They just can't seem to to turn that corner. And with the defense core that they have, they are so strong on the back end. Um, it, you got to think that if they can, they could have shipped one of those guys to Toronto, which probably would have been pretty attractive to the Maple Leafs. They really could have taken some strides forward, but they uh, are able to do so and are in the market for a top six. So it'll be interesting to see what route they go. Do they wait till the deadline? Will somebody give up already and try to acquire a top six, uh, uh, give up a top six forward, a, a low team in the league? Could could the um, Kings already be looking to deal at this point, would Chicago be looking to deal? Is there anybody left in Chicago to deal? I mean, half their team is already in Arizona. So it'll be interesting to see what Carolina does currently. They sit, um, according to Cap Friendly, they actually have the most cap space of any current team in the league. Their payroll right now sits at $63.3 million. So they can afford to take a big contract. That's for sure. Um, Justin Williams is an unrestricted free agent. Tara Vinen, uh, Sebastian Ajo. Brock McGinn, Phil DiGiuseppe, and Clark Bishop, the restricted free agent. So obviously big contract coming for um, Tara Vinen, you'd think, and Ajo. But a lot of the other pieces there kind of willing to or could potentially be moved or or let go in the offseason to continue to take on a big contract. Justin Williams, like we said, the unrestricted free agent, making $4.5 million this year. He was somebody that could be back. But getting back to that defense court, that's where their money is spent. They've got Dougie Hamilton at 575. They've got Jacob Slavin at 5.3. Justin Falk for 4.833. Kelvin DeHaan at 4.5 plus. Uh, Brett uh, Pesci with a little bit over $4 million, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk making a hair over $2 million. Well, really, about $2.3 million. They're all under contract for next season as well. So they've got a lot of a lot of good pieces there that they might be willing to ship out. All those guys in named the oldest, 27, Dahan and Riemsdyk, and they might be the last two in a, pairing up the defensemen. Dougie Hamilton, 25, Slavin, 24, and Pesci, 24. With Justin Falk kind of becoming an underrated star in this league at 26. So Carolina will be looking to make some uh, waves potentially sooner rather than later as they uh, try to continue, uh, get themselves back into the playoff picture. They're close, but again, trying to get actually into a playoff spot. Um, The reason why, too, that they are currently with two names that we didn't say in that deal or on that contract is... Jordan Stahl and Michael Furland, both of those guys out with head injuries. Um, I believe Stahl is day-to-day, if I remember reading it correctly, while Furland uh, is projected to be a while. I believe Furland has been sent. uh, Yes, so Stahl is still on the active roster with his $6 million cap hit, but Michael Furland is on injured reserve, and he is going to be an unrestricted free agent next year, so potentially a, a, a signing that needs to happen there. He's currently making $1.75 million. So, But still, all that's based under the cap. And speaking of the cap, 
That same day on Monday, Gary Bettman comes out, announces that the salary cap projects it to be at $83 million. So teams budgeting can go ahead and do that. It's roughly a $3.5 million rise. It's not a bad chunk of change. Think about it. A $3.5 million player, that's what? Maybe a fourth defenseman or a top, maybe a top six forward, more likely a top nine forward um, at worst. You know, so that's you're really opening up the salary for potentially a whole other player. And, and like we said, you know, who's going to love that? Toronto is, you know, we did the projections last week saying that if Matthews and Marner were each getting seven million, they'd have 47 million tied up in forwards. Well, now, you know, you can say that Matthews is going to get his 10, have his 50 million tied up in, in forwards, but at least you still have the same amount of cap money for the rest of your uh, roster. A couple of uh, injuries or misses there on Tuesday. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, our uh, Detroit uh, pest, shall we say, ended up getting suspended two games for his hit and more like punches to Colorado's Matt Calvert uh, from the game on Sunday. And Connor McDavid missed his first game since his rookie year with an illness. He would only miss the one game, but McDavid out for his first game since his rookie season. In the quote-unquote milestones category. The three stars of the week ending 12-2 came out. The third star of the week, Jonathan Huberto, two goals, seven assists, nine points, um, five out of a possible eight points for Florida as they try to keep themselves in a playoff picture. Aiden Hill. And now if I just said Aiden Hill, how many of you out there would know who Aiden Hill actually was? Um, and then how many of you that say that you know are actually just lying to yourself? Aiden Hill, the netminder for the Arizona Coyotes, with an unbelievable week last week. He stopped 59 of 60 shots, got a 3-0 record, a 4-3, no, 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 not 4.3, a .43 goals against average, a 9.83 save percentage, and a shout-out. Quite a week for uh, the young goaltender from Arizona as they win three games this week. But he was outdueled in terms of the eyes of the NHL selectors as it was Mark Shifley. Five, three, and eight points in the four games. The Jets with three wins. I tell you, it seems like every week there's a different Jet player um, among the three stars of the week. Obviously, Patrick Line, the three stars of the week, three star of the month. He was both last week. So um, there's one reason why you're hearing such things like that. Or why why it seems that way is because definitely last week Patrick Line in there as he was on a on just a torrid torrid goal scoring streak, uh, something like what was it eighteen one and nineteen points, something ridiculous like that over the course of I think all of November eighteen goals only one assist. It's pretty remarkable to have stats like that, but uh, those were again for the week games happening the prior week. So we're going to project in just a couple of minutes who might be the three stars of this week. Uh, first, though, one more little bit of note that we want to take care of on Monday. Their work, uh, a trade went down between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Anaheim Ducks. A young defenseman, Marcus Peterson, goes to the Penguins, while Daniel Sprong, a forward for the Pens, heads over to Anaheim. Anaheim just seems to have so many issues with forwards and health. It, it doesn't shock me that they're looking for a little bit more depth there. Peterson had played, had not really played a, a ton for Anaheim. He was one of the two guys that they kind of, we projected might see a little bit more ice time, but no, he only played about 14 minutes a night. So a little bit of a depth signing on the 
point for the Penguins and a little bit of a offensive depth signing for the uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. All right, let's see if I can get to this. The NHL has such a great um, statistics uh, page where you can really pick all that you want to uh, or choose your, your criteria. So we're going to say, we're going to go ahead and put in, since it was through the week, December, oh, and I've, did I just break it? Of course I just broke it. Some results by season, by game. Uh, come on. It was working just a minute ago. I want I want to see if we can project correctly the three stars. Let's try this again. Always the the famous refresh button coming into play. My favorite. Yes, of course. If I was prepared, I would have done this before we came in. But what I mean, what fun is that? If you can't hear me uh, singing to myself, I mean, there's no fun in that. Hearing me awkwardly try to carry the conversation along. I mean, come on. Who who does that? Here we go. So we got game by game, the third through the ninth, and regular season skater summary. So I'm just going to take a look at the skaters. What skaters had a really good week this week? Obviously, there's been some goaltenders. I know Mark andre Fleury was in last week's uh, mention, but expect to see potentially uh, among the top uh, five, Johnny Goudreau, three games this week, two goals, six assists, eight points. Steven Stamkos, four and uh, four and three for seven points, but that was in four games played. Elias Lindholm, three, uh, four, two and six. Austin Matthews with three, three and six, and those are all in his three games since returning from injury. And Sean Monahan of the Calgary Flames, three, three and six as well. How about that? Tied with that, three guys with three, three and six weeks. Gustav Nyquist. For the Red Wings, the third member of that grouping. So expect to see Goudre, uh, Johnny Goudreau and Steven Stamkos potentially in that lineup, in that top of the league, in that top three stars of the league. See if either of them have a chance to add to their numbers. As Currently, we have Vancouver winning big over St. Louis. We have uh, Winnipeg winning big over Philadelphia. We've got Boston and Ottawa scoreless in the first. Uh, let's see, Dallas and Anaheim, or excuse me, New Jersey and Anaheim will start at 8. The Sharks, uh, excuse me, the Canadians and Hawks will start at 6. Uh, well, Goudreau, in fact, Goudreau and Monaghan, as the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers, they will drop the puck at 9 o'clock tonight. So still a chance for Goudreau to polish up that star of the week possible uh, win for him. Uh, coming up next week, we will announce the three stars of this past week. I know it's a little bit of a little bit of a week behind, but still want to let you know who was hot at least well a while ago. We'll move it on now. That that listing came out Tuesday. Let's go ahead and head on over to, or that came out Monday. Let's go ahead and head on over to Tuesday, uh, where they became official that the we have a NHL franchise ready to play in Seattle. They will begin play in 2021. Uh, the 2021-2022 season. So what was that? We're ending the 18-19, 19 20 So about three and a half years from now, uh, excuse me, two and a half seasons from now, half of this one, the next two, they'll, they'll be joining the NHL. You know, uh, Bob McKenzie was on the intermission update for the game on Wednesday between the Flyers and the Blues on NBCSN. One of the two names that he projected to be the first GM for Seattle would be Ken Holland, potentially, which I, would who would be surprised? 
Uh, would anybody really be surprised? Can you not see? I mean, is this not just kind of coming exactly into shape the way you want it to? The projection that Steve Eiserman will be the GM here next year. Ken Holland gets bumped to a job upstairs probably for the 1920 season. Maybe he chooses to take a year off or quote-unquote retire. Um, and then he's picked up, ready to go in 21-22 GM of Seattle. Actually, you know, the GM, I know George McPhee started really formulating and, and getting some stuff together for that Seattle roster, or excuse me, for that Vegas roster early. So you could potentially see Ken Island even after this season. If, if Steve Eiserman takes over as general manager, it could be announced right away that Ken Holland as early as the 1920 season could be announced as GM for Seattle. Not a ton to do, I think, this far in advance, but you're going to want him in place for next offseason. So could be a potential there. Um, you know, it's it's important, and I feel it's important because Walt and I both have been kind of Ken Holland supporters and been on his side over the course of the last three years with the team not making the playoffs and, you know, it looking bleak. Well, now that it's starting to to pick back up a little bit, and this wasn't the greatest week for that, and due to some injuries, there could be some issues kind of keeping up with the pack here coming up for the Wings, but, you know, they're being led by this youth, and and, and Ken Allen's kind of made this change on the fly. I think everybody likes Dylan Larkin as as a top-flight number one center. I think most people are pretty excited about Dennis Shalowski. You know, you got Zadina down in the minors, Rasmussen getting his feet wet in the lineup uh, pretty much every day now. You know, it, it it's turning around, so if this team... Ends up, you know, Steve Eiserman comes in this offseason, and next season they end up making a run to the second round of the conference finals. It'll be, see, look at Steve Eiserman. Well, remember when these building blocks were laid laid down? And that really started, I think, the last two trade deadlines, four trades made at at the deadline two years ago. Four trades, I believe, were made at last year's deadline to acquire draft picks. They end up getting, as we said, Valeno, who's, uh, uh, Joey Valeno, who is just tearing it up in the queue right now. A little bit more of a struggle for Philippe Zadina down in Grand Rapids, but nothing to worry about there. Kids' first year in, in the pros. Plenty of time to pick it up. So all this work being done by Ken Allen now, don't forget it if in a year or two this team is is sitting at, in, in a playoff position in, in mid-February and they're, they're acquiring at the deadline, who really laid the foundation? And of course, though, at that time, we'll trust Steve Eiserman to be able to make the trades to improve this roster. Um, but that's only at this point. It's, it's speculated, conjecture. Uh, I would assume Bob McKenzie's probably pretty tapped in. So if McKenzie's telling you that, there's a really good chance that his name is on the front of the list because he probably still wants the GM. But Steve Eiserman's out there for Detroit. So it would almost make sense. Uh, the only other thing, piece of news to kind of come out of that, uh, they still don't have they don't have a name yet. Uh I've heard a couple of different possibilities, some of them tongue-in-cheek, so not really sure what the mascot's going to be. But uh, it is official. Arizona going to move to the Central Division. So Seattle will head into the Pacific, which will get the league at 32 teams, four eight-team divisions, balance it on out. Uh, so if you're wondering how that would potentially look and, you know, divisions, you know, important for the top three, obviously outside of that, you know, those two wild cards can be anywhere in the conference and can come from anywhere in the conference. Uh, they don't have to be at separate divisions or anything like that, but the way you end up boiling down in your central, you'd have the, uh, Nashville, Colorado, Winnipeg, Dallas, Minnesota, St. Louis, 
Chicago and Arizona. Meanwhile, in the Pacific, the three California teams, the three Western Canadian teams, as well as Los Angeles and Vegas and Seattle. So it makes sense. Pretty much a, a balance there with Arizona heading over. Um, so that's what to look forward to in the in the month to follow or in the years to follow. That's really the only thing that we have coming out. I don't know what's would be easier for uh, Arizona, where they'd rather be playing in this division that the California teams have had on lockdown for a while, San Jose and Anaheim towards the top, Calgary right now leading the Pacific, Vegas with their run to the Cup last year and, and in year two now starting to find their footing this season. Or in a division where you got to play Winnipeg, that top line in Colorado, and the Nashville Predators who win healthy are as good as any team in the league, though they are still very beat up holding down the number one spot in the Central Division. So all that, though, a lot happens on a week-to-week basis. So we'll see what happens over the course of the next, uh, what does that be, three to to four years. More injury news uh, uh, from Wednesday night, or from Tuesday night, I beg your pardon. Also, the fallout from the Wings game against the Avalanche, Anthony Mantha out four to six weeks with a broken hand. Excuse me. It's it's not surprising that you hear a broken hand. You hear four to six weeks on the same day that a guy gets into a fight. That's yeah. I, you don't really need to do too much wondering why he's out of the lineup. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Out of the lineup right now is number uh, thirty nine. Anthony Mantha. Big big loss for Detroit. Mantha's been real real good the last uh, probably ten to fifteen games, and so Detroit hates to lose him. And really, with some injuries creeping up, Helm out, DeKaiser, Daly. Uh, that's why uh, it may be, uh, may be time to settle that stock in, in Detroit. But we'll see what happens on that. And it's way too early to make decisions like that at this point. Other injury news, and a lot of it coming from, uh, excuse me, some good injury news, um, as Roberto Luongo returns for... Florida, and he gets a 5 nothing shutout victory over Boston. Another reason why Florida can start feeling really good about themselves. Luongo, has, when he's been in the lineup, Florida's had chances. I believe he started the year out, and that was why Florida had such a terrible start like Detroit did. He comes back, they get a victory. That's why I think Florida's got to feel real good about their possibilities as they get Roberto Luongo back into their everyday lineup. One... Uh, yeah, let's let's go. We're actually going to go. Got a lot that came out of the game on Tuesday night against the Vegas Golden Knights and the Washington Capitals, the second rematch of the Stanley Cup Finals, and this one was won by the Golden Knights as Nate Schmidt would get a game winning get the game winning goal in a the rematch against his former team. In that game, milestone for Ovi as he hits twenty goals for fourteen consecutive seasons at twenty goals. I mean, is that even something to celebrate with Ovi? I mean, he wakes up and rolls out of bed and he's going to get 20 goals. But it is a show, show of sign of, of, of health, too. You know, if you're only playing, what, 25? If you have a year where you're only 25 games, 40 games, maybe you don't hit the 20-goal mark. So shows his longevity as well. And obviously he gets his cup last year. But this one's also in the injury column as uh, Tom Wilson gets concussed on a hit by Ryan Reeves with no suspension coming to Reeves. Um Wilson gets the out indefinitely uh, call, which is just basically the generic, well, we'll see. Um, But Tom Wilson, who's been helped really springboard 
the Washington Capitals to kind of get get it going after last season. Or after, excuse me, after kind of a sluggish start, they had won seven straight. Last Sunday, they actually dropped a game where they led 5-1. to one. They let Anaheim off the mat, but they now have won their last two after losing that game against um, the Knights. They've won their last two, and they currently sit at 8-2 and two in their last 10. But again, Tom Wilson out of the lineup. We'll see if that factors at all into what comes up next for the Capitals. On that same day, it was kind of a hat trick. It's a bit of a hat trick special on Tuesday. Three players with hat tricks that I got. Um, first of all, I found this a little odd. And maybe this is just me. And I don't know. You can be the judge of it. But Ian Cole got a tribute in his return to Pittsburgh. Yeah, he was a cup winner. Uh, won two cups there. Uh, he was with the Pens for three and a half years, now with the Avalanche. I got to wonder, Ian Cole... The video tribute seemed weird. Seems weird to anybody else. I don't know. This is you know, Pacioretty. Pacioretty gets the video tribute. That makes sense. You know, going back from while at Vegas, going to Montreal. You know, big stars. I mean, I guess a bit of a role player. I think Franz Nielsen got it, so maybe it's on that level. But I don't know. It seems weird. Ian Cole was given given the big given the big tribute in his return to the Avs and, and what ended up being quite a wild game. As a matter of fact, it was a 3-0 lead for the Penguins. The Avs came all the way back and tied it. Then the fastest hat trick in Penguin history would be scored by Patrick, Horn, uh, Patrick Hornquist. He'd get three goals in a stretch of 247. A natural hat trick that led to the 6-3 final. And in just the greatest turn of events, and just as fate contends to be perfect sometimes, he scores the hat trick on hat trick giveaway night. On hat giveaway night. So believe me, that was quite a littered ice surface over there in Pittsburgh as they end up getting the 6-3 victory. That same day, again, Franz Nielsen gets his hat trick with Detroit. Cam Atkinson got a hat trick for the Columbus Blue Jackets as well. Over in news from players, player movement, Sam Gagne from Vancouver, another kind of meddling player, uh, middling player might be more the better term, Got sent down to the minors. This is a week after Scott Darling gets sent down to the minors. Guys that were expected to really help their team. Gagne's only play, played in seven games this year. One goal, two assists, three points. But he's making over $2 million. And he was kind of part of, I think it was two years ago's kind of head-scratching group of signings that had like Gabranson and, and Delzato and, and Gagne, where Walt and I talked about what, what what's the plan here in Vancouver. Um, while I think the plan might have been just wait for Elias Pettersson to <laughs> come along. Uh, because he is really tearing it apart with along with Bo Horvat and whatnot. So maybe they knew that the stars were coming and they did just need the depth guys, but Sam Gagne not really supplying it as much as they would hope for as he was sent down to the minors on Tuesday. Not a lot around the league on Wednesday in terms of news. It did come out, though, that Phil Kessel was mentioned in uh, trade talks, brought back up in trade talks again this year. I know last year they said that uh, Kessel was brought up again a topic of discussion for trade talks with his big contract that's being partly paid by Toronto, large chunk of it being obviously still left with Pittsburgh. Talk was last year maybe to Arizona where he would reunite with uh, Coach Tockett. Um, that obviously didn't happen, and now there was no names, no possibilities, no destinations, no draft picks, no um, offers that were put on the table, but it does get announced that, again, Phil Tressel, Phil, Phil Tressel? 
How about that? Phil Kessel still um, being brought up in trade talks. I know that would really relieve some cap space, you'd think, for the Penguins. Maybe one of the reasons why they'd, they'd look for it. Looking last year, maybe before the Strom and Perlini deal, so many young forwards. You, you flip Kessel for one or two of those forwards and can balance out your roster a little bit. But that deal didn't happen. But keep an eye out on that potentially going forward, especially as the Penguins land or sit currently outside of the playoff positioning. The only problem with it, though, or potential problem with it, and Kessel, obviously a natural goal scorer, somebody I think he's gotten 30 and 8 straight or 8 of his seasons, something ridiculously good. I'm going to go to, again, use our, our friends at Cap Friendly to see how much longer is his deal. I know he signed a, a, a quite a long deal, so it's not going to be a rental. If you're trading for Phil Kessel, I believe you're going to have him for a little bit of time. Uh Kessel, yeah, signed at $6.8 million through the 21-22 season. So maybe he's somebody that might be uh, left available, left open in the expansion draft. In Seattle, can he'll start their year, or start their time with a, what would it be, 31-year-old, 32, 34, roughly a 35-year-old Phil Kessel in the last year of his deal if he is not let go or traded beforehand by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's move it on to Thursday now where it was announced that Edmonton and Red Deer will host the 2021 World Juniors for those World Junior nuts out there. Walt, if he's listening today, he's very excited because he loves himself some World Juniors. Had a interesting situation occur down in Calgary where a late hit by Michael Backlund on Matt Dumba for the Wild. Backlund got his as Lumber came and fight uh, excuse me, it was Dumba that hit Backlund, and then Calgary rookie uh, Lumberg came over and took it out on Matt Dumba, and apparently it was kind of a, um, well, I'm going to read directly from this an article here that, that came out. This was actually written on Friday. The Calgary Flames forward Ryan Lumberg was suspended one game for leaving the bench on a legal line change for the sole purpose of starting an altercation. Uh, the one-game ban is in addition to his automatic one-game suspension, which was previously issued for instigating in the final five minutes of a regulation in Thursday's game against Minnesota. So all of that coming down. I know the uh, also there was a $10,000 fine, I believe, to the Calgary coach on that play. So Dumba with the big hit, open ice, under a minute to go as he knocked Backlund out. Backlund, uh, from what I saw in the clip, seemed to be okay, seemed to be getting back to his feet a little bit slowly, to be sure, but... Uh, what's interesting kind of about that play, the question of legality of the hit. And I don't believe, and unless I missed it, Dumba did not get suspended for the hit. Um, so interesting there. I think it's an interesting to note. Dumba didn't get suspended. I saw it a couple times. The point of contact was high. It looked shoulder. Um, it also looked like that Backlund might have been moving down, kind of dipping the shoulder a little bit. But his head down playing the puck, which is obviously mortal sin, something you do not want to do. Uh, so, again, I saw it. I didn't think it warranted a suspension. And this, again, kind of leads to the, okay, well, if it wasn't suspended, then and there was no penalty, I don't believe. Maybe there was. I think there might have been a delayed penalty called on the play. But is the retaliation necessary for a hit that was deemed legal? And that's kind of one of the, the great questions or a question that's floated around the NHL really for the better part of the last decade is that even for legal hits, 
good squared up body checks in the regular season. Now in the playoffs, you don't get usually see it, but in the regular season, do you need to go after? Is it a, is it an unwritten rule? Do you have to go make the hit? Now maybe maybe it was more time and place, you know, a two goal spread in the final uh, with under a minute to go. Maybe that is uncalled for, but I don't know. It's it's just food for thought for you to think about what exactly is right in these situations. What's the unwritten code? The standing up for your teammate. Obviously, he was sent out on the ice to do so. So I guess in this situation, it was pretty much a set done deal. But always some, something to kind of keep an eye and ear out, as it's kind of a very interesting sort of uh, dynamic that always occurs with these late checks and, and the fights that ensue from them. Also on Thursday, we had a bit of a milestone for the Columbus Blue Jackets as Seth Jones scored 10 seconds into overtime against the Flyers, the fastest OT goal in Columbus history. Congratulations on that new milestone. Meanwhile, the Bruins kind of wheeling and dealing, not big time, more more with their own roster in terms of injuries. They did pick up a player as Jamel Smith was claimed on waivers from the Dallas Stars. He played in the game last night against Toronto. Uh, So Jamel Smith comes up. I believe he had four points in 18 games with the Stars on the season. He'll help provide depth down the middle with Patrice Bergeron out. Obviously, everybody moved up a step as last night I was listening to the game on the radio coming back from Grand Rapids, and they had just put Krejci in between the other two, and Louis DeBrusque also out with an injury, who had been line mates, uh, and the other two being, um, I should add to it, Marchand and, and Pasternak, given the the, the great plays that, they, that made, they have had. And it was easier to move Krejci up because his running mate, Louis DeBrusque, has been out for is out as well. So Boston really beat up on the front end as well as the back end. They're still playing without Chara. Chara. Kevin Miller went to IR, but but che- uh, Charlie McAvoy was activated from IR, and defenseman Connor Clifton got moved to Providence. Charlie McAvoy would be in the lineup uh, Saturday in the game against Toronto. Hold on. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, but first, we have uh, to take a look at what happened around on Friday around the knee. League. How about this? Ken Hatchcock commenting saying that they could play that uh, we can play Connor McDavid twenty five or more minutes per night. It's an interesting thought. You know, Dylan Larkin currently um, getting about twenty three minutes a night. He's one of the top forwards in the NHL. You know, we've looked at McDavid's stats. He's not playing that far under 24, 25 minutes a night currently. Um, I know in a couple of games that we've checked, the game he played in Detroit, I believe he did play uh, a twenty four and a half minutes. You don't nearly hear that from a forward, but obviously when you have a forward that good and that young, that's the other real key piece to it. That young that's got the wheels, and they need it. Uh, as they try to get themselves back into playoff picture, and you know we're going to talk in, in just a moment. Well, actually, we can go ahead and do it now. It, it, the Oilers 6-2-1 and one without Hitchcock. Or excuse me, since Ken Hitchcock took over. Um, and they're doing it with, with his structure. Um, well, first, let's actually go back to that 6-2-1. and one. They lost the game that McDavid didn't play. So if you want to count, a, count that as a, a bit of a wash, which you shouldn't count a game as an automatic loss with one player being out. But when it's Connor McDavid, it's almost forgiven. But the Oilers, 6-2-1 and one since Ken Hinch got taken over. And, and really what he's done is, is, is support. That's what he's been preaching. And it, it's working right now for the Edmonton Oilers. It's defensively collapsing the middle of the ice, not having wingers stay so much on the point, kind of circling or moving down to the circles to really make sure that there's nothing open in the middle of the ice. And then on offense, the forwards going low to help defensemen either move the puck, become better receivers for the puck, um, available on breakouts. 
Um, puck support along the boards down low as well uh, to help lead to offensive rushes. Uh, the score did a great breakdown on with some video highlights of one of uh, Todd McClellan's, uh, McClellan's last game against uh, Vancouver, or excuse me, Vegas versus um, one of the games that Ken Hitchcock's coaching. Some of the differences that you're seeing in the style, and that's that's led the Oilers to this kind of six two and one breakout, and they've moved themselves into position a little bit now. Now they're back within striking distance here in the Western Conference. As they have moved uh, into, let's see, the second wild card is the Vegas Golden Knights with 33 points in 31 games, while Edmonton with two games in hand and only one point behind. So, you know, it's it's a it, it, they're good shape, good shape with this recent run, six three and one officially in their last ten. They've won their last two, including a seven two victory over Minnesota back on Friday night. Um, and again, I believe they go at it tonight against Calgary. So big game for them is Calgary leading the Pacific at 19-9-2. The Oilers at 15-12-2. Be a big two points if they can pick that up. If they can pick it up in regulation, then all of a sudden they're only six behind the Flames with a game in hand for overall lead in the Pacific. So uh, things tightening up. And, and again, you know, we talked about this, I think it was two shows ago. I think we did mention last week, you know, it's, we're past Thanksgiving now. So the the stats of who's in at Thanksgiving and is really, you know, it's kind of indicative to who's probably going to be in when it comes to playoff time. And so it, it's not laughable to be talking about playoff positioning this early into the year. I mean, we haven't played half the season yet, but again, a lot of that stagnant, a lot of those teams kind of stay in place. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Oilers, but the coaching change there really kind of uh, applying a spark for the Oilers. Um, word comes out of Chicago, the team, as we mentioned, struggling, that they could be looking to wheel and deal as Connor Murphy and um, Anton Forsberg coming back on their way back. Uh, Murphy, I believe, actually might be playing in the game tonight for uh, Anton Forsberg right behind him. Some big uh, minute-eating defensemen that could lead to a, 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 some trading of Brandon Manning and Jan Ruda, who both have uh, kind of expensive contracts. And not a lot of production from those two guys. Brandon Manning, I, know, I, I remember thinking it was a little bit of a head-scratcher, him getting over $2 million, the former Flyer defenseman. But Chicago is so hard up for help defensively. And with Murray and Forsberg going back, they may look to make some moves as they continue to try to bury themselves out of cap hell. Mark, in that same game, I also want to mention, and sorry, Trying to keep it in order, but in that same game between the Wild and Flames, Mark Giordano ended up getting suspended for two games for kneeing Miko Koivu. So just a whole bunch of wildness in that game between the Wild and the Calgary Flames. I believe a game that ended up 2 nothing with Minnesota getting the victory in that one. So interesting uh, kind of breakdown and apparently some bad blood forming between the Wild and the Flames. Uh, before I lie to you, I don't want to lie to you. I want to tell you the truth. I really, that's, that's, that's what's important. Truth is important. So let's, let's see what this actually looks like. Uh, let's go to the seventh was when that game was played. Nope. I lied. The sixth was when that game was played. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was Calgary getting the two nothing victory. Um, over the Minnesota Wild in, again, what was ended up being kind of a, 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 I hate to say a wild game, but 
Uh, Lumber got all the penalties, the instigator, the game misconduct, and the the fighting at the 1917 mark. And let's see, Giordano got a tripping call at 617. I wonder if that was the penalty. Crosscheck at 1632 of the first. That doesn't really sound like much of a of a, of a kneeing call. So, uh, yeah. So the uh, Flames get the get the victory in that one on home ice, but lose a couple players in the process. More injury news as we head to stuff that happened last night that will actually start in Anaheim where the Ducks GM Bob Murray given a two-year extension as the Ducks, again, fighting injuries and fighting health and still fighting for the division as they are currently sitting third in the Pacific. You kind of got to give them a nod for the guys that have come in and out of that roster as they are still able to stay up and, and stay close to the top of the NHL, or at least the Pacific Division anyway. Heading to IR, Aunt Ottawa, who's just wild year continues. Matt Duchesne going to be week to week with a groin injury. Bobby Ryan with a concussion. Boy, it just seems like Bobby Ryan spends so much time on the uh, IR. It's sad. He's such a good hockey player, but just can't seem to stay healthy and out on the ice. Some milestone numbers here. Stamkos gets four in a game. This is a couple of weeks after Pat, uh, Patrick Line has the five-goal game. Stamkos gets four to extend the Lightning winning streak to six games as they're streaking. Alex Ovechkin on an 11-game point streak as he would score in the game in his game last night with getting a victory. Also, Scott Darling was recalled from the minors for Char- uh, Carolina from Charlotte. So let's see if maybe Darling week and a half down in Charlotte got something worked out. And then finally, the big uh, kind of the big story: Boston playing Toronto. And another game where two teams don't like each other. And this was clearly a late hit by Zach Hyman on, on Charlie McAvoy. You know, the aforementioned McAvoy who just came back from concussion. He had played the puck a solid full second and a half to two seconds before the hit from Hyman. And if you don't think that's a long time, well, remember, it's, you know, once the puck's passed and out of the player's reach, they really shouldn't be hit at all. Not only did Hyman hit him, he clearly hit him high if you, if you look at the video um, of it. Um, he was given uh, a McAvoy, remember, like I said, just coming back from concussion, and it was Matt Grizzlick who stood up to Zach Hyman uh, for that big hit on McAvoy as they went at it at center ice, and Hyman actually probably got the better of Grizzlick, but still, that's one where I, I don't mind the justice as it was uh, a hit that I'm going to deem dirty by Hyman, and we'll, we'll see as he's scheduled to have a hearing either today, tomorrow, or Tuesday. Um, to determine if he's going to be suspended for that hit on Charlie McAvoy. Folks, that's going to do it for the first hour of the show. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, step aside. When we come back, we'll take a look at the week that was for the Detroit Red Wings. Stay tuned. You are listening to In the Box. So happy to have you with us. I'm Thomas uh, Walt here in spirit. And we will be right back as soon as I get ready to have music ready, which I obviously should have done. And yeah, now we're going to go ahead and take a break. Ah, yes, nothing wrong with a little prince in your life, that's for sure. All righty, welcome back to In the Box. I'm Thomas Flying Solo today, and let's start talking a little bit about our Red Wings. And, and I tell you, this was a week that really, I think, showed the Red Wings youth. Um, I mean, the whole season, uh, let me rephrase, let me, let me take a step back on that. The whole year has shown the Red Wings youth with the kind of inconsistent play at times. Um, you know, they had the stretch where they were 
behind by two goals or more, came back and won, what was it, three or four in a row? Well, this week it started to flip. Well, now they're, they're coming out, getting things done, um, real good in the early going, and then they end up giving away, uh, giving away points and giving away leads uh, as they cannot sustain them. And that's just a sign of a young team, not really knowing how to play from, a, uh, from ahead. The, obviously, they're learning, or they have learned very quickly how to play from behind, but not really learning and haven't really learned how to to handle playing ahead. And and we'll, we'll we'll get through that here as we as we take a look at the week. The week started out last Sunday, right after we went off air. Um, Detroit ended up uh, pretty short-handed in the game, and and not just in terms of penalties. Um, you know, really, what happened was. So we'll start with the first period where Detroit had a lot of scoring chances, looked really good, um, but Simeon Varlamov kept the game even, and I think that was a big, big, big moment in the game. The Red Wings had their their most sustained pressure in the first, but it ended locked up at zero. And in the game, Detroit dre- uh, dressed only eleven forwards in the game, and then they would lose three of them before the game would even finish, and that also. Obviously, really is going to make a team shorthanded when you have such a limited roster available to you, and then it ends up getting cut even shorter. Um, so the Wings dress eleven forwards. They lose Dylan Larkin after he takes a just vicious hit um, by Max Nemeth in open ice. They then so that occurred. Let's see. Hang on. Let's see. Nema, uh, that occurred later stages third or early. I'm sorry, early stages third period. That was after Tyler Bertuzzi got five minutes for fighting uh, Ian Cole at 151 uh, of the third period. So they lost Bertuzzi. They lost Mantha, and then the hit by Namath knocked Larkin into concussion protocol. So while they're trying to come back. Detroit's really without three of their best players in Bertuzzi, Mantha, and Larkin, and it just just made it a little bit too hard of a hill to climb for the Red Wings. It was a, a pretty low shot game uh, both ways. As the goals were scored by just that top line by Colorado, which I, I mean, I don't. The problem is, is they're going to take away votes from each other for any sort of postseason awards. But Nathan McKinnon, Antti Rantanen, and Gabriel Landeskog have just been fantastic. Um, on the power play at the uh, 19, or excuse me, at the 454 mark after Detroit would be 0 for 2 in the power play in the first period. Uh, Nathan McKinnon would score his 19th, Rantanen's 33rd assist, Landeskog's 14th, 1 0 power play goal at the 424 mark. Then late, the capper was put in by Landeskog, his 16th. It would be McKinnon's 24th, and then Rantanen's 34th assist on the year as that would be the difference maker in that one. Again, we, as we mentioned, Simeon Varlamov, 24 saves as he was perfect in the game. Odd stats for the Avs, if, if there was any to pass along. They did a good job with their forwards. Love to see everybody over 10 minutes, under 20, except for Nathan, except for the, no, only only McKinnon had 21 minutes. Uh, everybody else under 20 over 10. It's a good means you got a good balance to forwards. Now the scoring balance may not be there, but at least you're rolling your lines over. And Eric Johnson played almost 30 minutes in that game as they had Mark Alton. They lose Namath um, with the fight. I think there was a little extra coming there. No, actually pretty much everybody else played big minutes. It's just Johnson played a lot for Alt down the stretch is really how it balanced out. Um, again, Valarmov with the 24 saves. 
Detroit, meanwhile, Luke Witkowski, uh, he was actually listed as a forward. I, you know, he's played both, plays both ways, but he only played 440 total in that game. Athanasiu and Larkin, both well over 20, as well as, well as Gustav Nyquist over 20 minutes. Ablocator only at 16.24. Mantha was at 19.02. But again, a lot of things broke down in, in terms of injuries and issues late. Detroit in the game. Colorado, one of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, as they, have, like I said earlier, have caught the um, Winnipeg, or the, excuse me, the very injury depleted Nashville Predators in the Central Division. So no shame in losing to the Avs. Um, but again, Really just an issue of scoring for for Detroit. Big defense minutes were logged by Mike Green as he put uh, twenty four over 24 minutes of effort into the game. Jonathan Bernier got all 26 shots he saw at even strength, but it was the one power play goal and the empty net goal by Landeskog. Well, it's not listed as an empty net goal on NHL.com, but considering that he got Bernie. I got twenty five of twenty. Or excuse me, got uh, twenty seven of twenty eight. That must means he must not have been on the ice for the for the twenty ninth shot in the empty netter. So again, Detroit losing a the, losing a one goal game or a two goal game that uh, went to uh, that included an empty net goal. But again, the biggest chance for Detroit to win that game was in the first period. The two power plays and they just couldn't cash in. Overall shots again twenty nine to twenty four in favor of the Avs. Face-off percentage, Detroit had another really good day in the face-off circle. They win 56% of the draws. Avalanche did score on that only power play attempt. Hits in the game, Detroit with 26, Colorado with 20. Blocks in the game, 16 for Colorado, while Detroit blocked nine shots. And Detroit, again, high on the giveaways, 14 giveaways, Colorado only four in the game. And we'll see if this sparks a little bit of that rekindling roster or a rekindling fight rekindling spirit between the Avalanche and the Red Wings with the big hit that Namath put on on Larkin and then Mantha getting into a fight, breaking the hand. Be looking forward to seeing these two teams when they square off in Denver later in the season. Let's go ahead and move it to Tuesday as the Wings basically were on an every other day schedule this week. In that game against the Lightning, they end up dropping that one 6-5. to five. And again, it was, a, it was a game where Detroit, this is the flip now. Detroit had a two-goal lead multiple times in the game and just unable to uh, get the victory against the backup goaltender. How about this? Spent uh, Edward Pasquale wins his NHL debut 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 who spent eight seasons in the AHL made 19 saves in the victory for the Tampa Bay lightning. And, and this is again, getting into that Tampa out shooting Detroit big time in the game, but this is that, that, uh, out the wings still kind of young and and trying to learn to to get all the way through hockey games and we'll start in the first period where they got it going uh late in the period back to back shifts Gustav Nyquist would get his fifth from Dylan Larkin while Franz Nielsen would get his second from Andreas Athanasiu you're going to hear that name Franz Nielsen a lot 17:15 the time of that goal so less than 30 seconds apart Detroit led 2 to nothing then in period number two, establishing themselves would be the Tampa Bay Lightning is Matthew Joseph, the youngster. And if you remember, we talked about this guy a few weeks ago in terms of Milan Lucic taking shots at him, you know, as, as the rookie breaking him into the NHL. Well, it, he broke in all right as he ended up scoring back-to-back goals for the visitors. At 5'10", a goal from Ryan Callahan, a shot that 
the snipe top corner from the bottom of the circle. And then his eighth of the year would be scored. Callahan assisted on the first one. Yanni Gord assisted on the second one. Uh, his eighth, that came at the 11 minute and 37 second mark as w- one that would go beat Jimmy Howard low, kind of on a rebound type play side of the net. Detroit would not stay tied for long, and this is what you want to see. You want to see response, even though it wasn't uh, necessarily one of the kids responding. It was one of the veterans responding. Franz Nielsen would get his third, second of the game. Less than two minutes later, Luke Witkowski would get the lone assist on it. Detroit, back in the hockey game. They now trail a lead 3-2. Th- uh, to two. That would only last, again, less than a minute later. Steven Stamkos, his 10th from Ryan Callahan. Detroit now trail, uh, we're back to even as Stamkos lets it go from the slot to get the goal. Franz Nielsen not done. His fourth of the season, his third of the game would come again less than two minutes after Stamkos made it a 3-3 game. Nielsen would make it a 4-3 game. Time of the goal, 16-26. The lone assist goes to Andreas Athanasiu, and Detroit would skate off after 20 minutes with a one-goal lead. In the final stanza, Gustav Nyquist would start it off all right for Detroit. At the 4.06 mark, he would score from Dylan Larkin and Justin Ablocator. As I said, his sixth of the year, Nyquist took him a long time to get his first, but starting to warm up a little bit. And Detroit, at the 4.06 mark, would lead by a score of 5-3. to three. But then the Lightning come back. They get the goal, TJ Miller, his sixth from Sergachev at 9.50. And then the what could have been back-breaking goal, as Cedric Paquette gets his seventh, a shorthanded goal from assisted by the aforementioned Matthew Joseph. You know, you commit a you have a one goal lead. You 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 look to to kind of you're looking to kind of get he, uh make it a two goal lead. And then Ryan Callahan goes off for interference. You get the power play opportunity, and you end up being unable to cash in. And then not only that, the lead gets taken from you. Uh, or at least it was ended up being tied as the goal by Cedric Paquette, his seventh again, from Joseph at 14.58. Detroit would still be able to hang on long enough to salvage a point out of it. Uh, then we go to the shootout after the Lightning were able to, or Detroit was able to kill a penalty to Dylan Larkin in the extra session. In the shootout, Franz Nielsen, no. Victor Hedman, yes. Thomas Vanek, no. Braden Point, no. Gustav Nykus, yes, we're tied. But Nikita Kucherov scores. 2-1, to one, they win the shootout. 6-5, to five, they win the game. Shots in that one. Again, Detroit came out flying. 12-5 to five were the shots after one. But the Lightning remembered who they were, giving up, getting tw- outshooting the wings the next two periods. 29-11 to 11 for a final total of 35-14 to 14 in the hockey game. Take a look at some of the individual numbers in the game. As we mentioned, you heard Matthew Joseph a lot. Two goals, one assist, three points. How about this? This is a, I think this is a big deal. You may not, but the Wings did not give up a point to Tyler Johnson. (laughs) How about that? Tyler Johnson played the Red Wings and didn't score a point. That's, I mean, that's a small victory for the Wings. I I think you got to count it as one. As uh, Tyler Johnson, the known Red Wing killer, was kept off the score sheet, but this time it was Matthew Joseph that the Wings couldn't keep off the score sheet. How about this? Two guys playing over 20 minutes. It was Kucherov and Braden Point. Braden Point, kind of an under. The radar possible heart trophy um nominee. And no, I'm 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 not kidding. Steven Stamkos, only 17 minutes, and I say only 17 in relation to the other two. That was third highest among forwards. Defensively, they've got such a great and balanced defensive 
line. And, you know, Mikhail Sergachev played more than Braden Coburn. And the reason why we bring that up is uh, also Cernak, Cernak, one of the, the youngsters there, played 21-55. And, again, we bring this up because there were game overtime or playoff games last year where Sergachev would see only eight minutes. He's now getting 18-33 of ice time. Granted, regular season, but still real, real key that the Lightning continue to move him along. And as we mentioned, Pasquale got 19 saves on 24 Red Wing shots. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Red Wings, Gustav Nyquist with the big night with two goals. Franz Nielsen with the three. That accounted for all Detroit goals. Larkin and Athanasiu each with two assists in the game. Big minute getters uh, as Martin Furk and Luke Rutkowski heading back into the lineup because, again, Tyler Bertuzzi out serving in his suspension. And... Darren Helm still out. Anthony Mantha out. Also drew Christian N back into the lineup. N Ferk and Witkowski created a, a fourth line for Detroit. They all played under 10 minutes. Larkin played 25-13 in the game. Athanasiu a hair over 20. Uh, Ablocator and Nyquist also over the 20-minute mark. Defensively for Detroit, the big minute guy was Nick Jensen getting 23-41. Behind, or excuse me, in front of him, Mike Green was actually the big, big minute guy. As he was twenty four fifty two on the ice, and Cronwall, boy, you thought these days might have been by for Nick Cronwall. He played twenty two oh nine. The Warrior that continues just to keep on keeping on, still out there, still chugging away at it. He would play twenty, uh, as I said, twenty two oh nine, and be a plus one rough night for Jonathan Erickson. Fifteen minutes, eleven seconds of ice time, and a minus three on the night. Jimmy Howard takes the loss, uh, the the shootout loss that is. He got 30 of 35 lightning shots in the 65 minutes. As we just mentioned, 35-24 were the final shots on goal. Faceoffs 52 to 48 in favor of the lightning. Both teams 0 for 2 on the man advantage. Hits 20 for Detroit, 14 for the lightning. Blocks 11 for Detroit, 10 for the lightning. And then, again, giveaway numbers. Detroit just giving away the puck too much. 23 giveaways for Detroit versus 9. Only 9 for the Lightning. Detroit got to start taking better control of the puck, got better care of the puck. More likely, much more likely to win games that way. So they, they lose the big lead in the third period, and that would become the theme of the week the rest of the week. Well, the third period for the next night and then just losing the lead uh, would be the final uh, kind of night, not only in the third period. So, with William Nylander back on, on the ice for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they would be on home ice at the Air Canada Centre or whatever they're calling it. Now, I don't think it's the Air Canada. It's, what, it's, it's something. Is it the Scotiabank something or other? I don't know. It, 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 whatever it is. They would come out flying. They would, the uh, excuse me, Kasperi Kapanen gets his 11th of the year from Jake Gardner and Johnson, uh, or excuse me, Johansson, Johansson, at the 450 mark and the lease off and running. But Jonathan Erickson, after having the rough night, would respond, get his second of the year. Thomas Vanek on the assist, his seventh, and Detroit really started to get it going. That was at the 532, uh, 523 mark. At the 638 mark, Glenn Denning would get his fourth from Cronwall and De La Rose at 1628 or at 628. And Detroit would lead 2-1. They were not done in the period. Gustav Nyquist would get his seventh at the 1946 mark. And Detroit could feel real good about themselves going into period or going into the locker room as they held a 3-1 to lead. It would only get better in period number two. 
as Mike Green would get his third from Furk and Nyquist 18th assist for Gustav at the midway point, 11.07 of the second period, and Detroit off and running. They would lead 4 nothing after, or 4 to 1 after two periods of play. Also, kind of, uh, well, we'll get to that. We'll hold, we'll hold off on that. We'll get to that in just a moment. Let's continue on with the update here. John Tavares would get would start the comeback for the home Maple Leafs. Two thirty eight in, he would get his eighteenth of the year from Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner. Riley's twenty second assist, and it was four to two. Zach Hyman then from uh, Ozaganov and Marner. Marner's thirty fourth assist of the year. Hyman's seventh goal, and it was four to three at the eight fifty mark. Then at 11.36, Andreas Janssen from Matthews and Kapanen to make it 4-4. Four to four. Uh, Johnson got moved up to that line, or excuse me, Kapanen got moved up to that line where originally it was Nylander that started it, that started on that line for the Leafs. Uh, but he, uh, Hyman did not, or excuse me, um, Nylander did not play much in the later stages of that hockey game, and they put Capping uh, him back on that top line. That got the tie. Detroit, though, able to hang on long enough to force overtime, just like in the, against the Lightning. Two goal lead lost in the third period, but they hang on well enough to get to overtime. And in overtime, an outstanding saucer pass by Gustav Nyquist, his 19th assist of the year, lands on the stick of Dylan Larkin, a forehand, backhand, five hole goal by Larkin as he beats Garrett Sparks to make it five to four, an overtime victory for Detroit. And a big, big victory for the Red Wings in Toronto. Again, it just seems like one of those places where Detroit does not win very often. But they get the big win there. And, you know, in that game, Cronwald also, Cronwald, young Nicholas Cronwald made an appearance as he made a big, big, big hit on, of all people, Austin Matthews. And, you know, there was couple of uh, things that I, uh, a couple of articles that I read that the response may not have been, uh, been very, was not enough considering the fact that that is the big, uh, big, big player in the league with Detroit getting the big hit on, or excuse me, Cronwell getting the big hit on Austin Matthews. Uh, and then the Leafs didn't really have a whole lot of, of return to it. To the collision. Cronwall actually really getting young as he would do it again the next night as well. But uh, the big thing was Detroit getting the victory in the game. Let's see if I can take it back here, talk you through this hit. And nope, nothing's working. So let's just continue on. Uh, yep, that's not working. All right, well. But still, the Cronwallian hit by Nicholas Cronwall. Credit to him. Congratulations for still keeping it going. Uh, stats in that game. I do want to get to the stats in that game between the Leafs and the Red Wings. Again, that kind of battered Red Wing lineup without three guys. Uh, looks like everything's going. Oh, no, the Red Wings. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, you're good. Dave's just checking in, making sure everything's working. We love that. Nothing wrong with that. Making sure that all the equipment's good. Making sure you got me out there. Um, so we go to the team stats of that game between the the Lightning or between the Leafs and the Wings. Wings really outplayed the Leafs the first two periods. Um, Jeff Blaschel 
quoted as saying that he really liked the first two periods, felt good about him, as you would with a 4-1 lead after two. Obviously fell off in the third, but you know, you're hanging in there against, again, third straight game against one of the top teams in the league, and you're hanging in uh, three games and five nights. And, you know, good good for the Red Wings. I mean, that's that's a credit to them for keeping, you know, it being able to do it. Another credit to them. They killed off all four Maple Leaf power plays in that game. This is one of the best power plays in the league in Detroit, who had struggled on the penalty kill, was able to do that. Detroit outshot Toronto 32-31. to Faceoffs again, as I think I just mentioned, fifty nine to forty two in favor of the Leafs. Power play numbers four, uh, 0 for four, zero for two. So the Wings couldn't cash in on either of their two men advantage. Detroit out hitting the Leafs twenty one fourteen. That's another stat that we're seeing Detroit do a lot of out hitting teams, which is good. Not shying away from physical play at the block shots. Detroit blocked thirty shots. They were credited with thirty shot blocks. That's impressive. While the Leafs were credited with just 12 and giveaways, Detroit 10, Maple Leafs 13, really good sign. Again, Detroit, big number, big cut down from the night before. Toronto, how did that game go for them in terms of numbers? Marner, obviously, not surprisingly at all, would play over the 20-minute mark, as would Austin Matthews, as would John Tavares. A lot of time, a lot of time for those players on the power play as well. Marlowe at 18.45, the grizzled veterans still getting it done, playing big, big minutes on a night-in, night-out basis. Willie Nylander only played 12.29, 3.06 of it on the power play. Again, he was credited for one takeaway, but no shots, no points on the night. Tyler Ennis would bring up the rear in terms of minutes as he just played 7.22 for the Leafs. Defensively, Toronto basic, uh, I tell you, they must be playing together a lot as no actually they don't I believe they actually play separately uh, Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner Morgan Riley played 2342 while Jake Gardner played 2345 so right there but Riley played 451 on the power play while Gardner played 309 and Riley also saw 123 a penalty kill time other defensemen over 20 minutes was Nikita Zaitsev and that's gonna be the question with Toronto that's basically gonna be their big three if if they don't make any moves to acquire a defenseman, it's going to be Gardner, Riley, and Zaitsev uh, with Anderson and Nett. Is that going to be good enough? Uh, that's that's what they got to find out. That's what they're going to have to see. I mean, obviously the scoring is going to be there, but things get tighter in the playoffs, and it'll be interesting to see if they make any moves as the as the kind of year wears on. Sparks again was beaten on five shots. He made twenty seven saves on thirty two attempts. Meanwhile, for the Wings, as another injury, as they only have five defensemen listed in terms of time played, as Trevor Daly out of the lineup. And, you know, this is another very under-the-radar injury um, as he was scratched. And he's a guy that you're going to, that it just seems like the Wings, maybe this is an obvious statement, are just a much better team when Trevor Daly is in the lineup. And he's out of it. Obviously, Detroit gives up five. Is maybe maybe it's different. Maybe it's not. But still, um, that's big. Luke Gwikowski again listed with the forwards. I, he probably played his eleven minutes more defensively than anything else. Uh, Wade uh, Wade Megan was called up. He played seven oh seven in the game while Christopher N played uh, eight thirty nine. Dylan Larkin logged twenty two forty five of ice time. Franz Nielsen over twenty himself. Justin Ablocator over nineteen along with Gustav Nyquist. So it was really those top line players. Rasmussen and Vanek were both under thirteen. Uh, Glenn Denning over 17. De La Rose almost 17 himself. How about that? Athena CU 16 31. A little light for him, you would think. But again, 
if you if you play it and are playing well, you will come and you will get the ice. He was minus two with only two shots in the game. That might have got him off the ice a little bit down the stretch. Well, Larkin, one goal, one assist, seven shots on goal, four hits in the game as Larkin, again, not not afraid to shy away from the physical contact. Um, also, it looks like he his face-off percentage, though, only 40. You'd like to see Larkin doing a little bit better than that. Applicator had a 75% face-off percentage in the game. Those five defensemen, uh, Chalowski saw the, the least amount of minutes at 1632. Obviously, Jeff Blaschel knew Cronwell had played a ton the night, uh, the game before. He only saw 1835, but Nick Jensen would play 2508, while Mike Green would get 2424, and Jonathan Erickson 2435. Much better night for Erickson. He was a plus one, had the goal. Mike Green, one goal, one assist, two points for him during the course of the game. Jensen had a full stat line outside of the big things. Outside of the goals and system points, he minus one, two penalty minutes, one shot on goal, two hits, one blocks, two giveaways, one takeaway. That's quite a night for Nick Jensen. As Jonathan Bernier would get the victory against his former team, he'd get 27 of 31 Maple Leaf shots. He'd get all four that they he saw on the power play, and his save percentage would work out to be 871. So let's go ahead and take it on up to last night. Detroit, another two-goal lead. Apparently, they're better off coming from behind than having the leads as Detroit would end up getting come back on in this one. Let's start off in the first period. Justin Ablocator would score his fifth from Larkin and Nyquist. That was at the 4 minute 59 second mark. Nyquist's 20 assists in the year, Larkin's 16th assist, while Ablocator now fifth goal, as we mentioned. And then a great play by Nicholas, Nicholas Cronwell to score his first. Pulls the puck off the wall, moves it to the middle, lets the traffic form in front, then fires the wrist shot home. It was his first of the year, as we said. Larkin getting his second assist of the period at the 13.53 mark. And Detroit would take the 2-0 lead into the locker room. Things would, uh, yeah. Well, Casey Zizekas would score his seventh from Johnston at 4.31. And the lead would go away completely as Ryan Pulak would get his second while on the power play at 6.57. So just that quickly, about two and a half minutes, Bailey and Barzell would get the assist, and we were locked up at two. In period number three, this is just a bad bounce and an unlucky unlucky play. A, a shot that kind of hit some, I think it hit the a skate, and then the backboards came off awkwardly and landed right on the stick of Matt Martin. Bernier was a little down and out on the play. Cut, Clutterbuck would get the assist along with Nick Letty. And at 324, the game winner would go to the Islanders. And, you know, it didn't really seem like Detroit had a lot of energy or or go-to in that game. And I and I think that, that's, that that is what really kind of scares me now. This is what gives me a little bit of fright. You don't have Mantha for five to six or uh, four to six weeks. You don't have Helm for four to six weeks. Daly was also out of the lineup uh, again. And you just, you know, what what's how is this team going to boil down? How is it going to boil down for this team? Um, can they survive the injuries? You know the you know they had Hicketts up, Lashoff and me uh, Megan were the healthy scratches. Um, again, that was Hicketts, Lashoff, and Megan as they let uh, Witkowski play the point. But Mike Green playing twenty six minutes a night. I don't know if that's what you want Detroit getting into. So. Hold that thought. Let's take a look at the uh, stats in that game for the Islanders. Matthew Barzell with the lone assist. He played over 20. Uh, Johnstone had the assist also. He played under 
seven minutes a night. Everybody else pretty much in that 10 to 20 minute window for the Islanders. Nothing, no, no shame in losing to the Islanders, by the way. They currently sit third in, in the Metro. So no shame in that. I do want to point that out. You know, this is everybody I think thought that the Islanders were going to be terrible with uh, Tavares out in, in Toronto. Well, it hasn't really happened that way. They've been, they've been solid without a doubt. They've been very solid so far through the first 30 games of the year. Uh, the defense core very balanced as Ryan Pulak played 2150. Tra- uh, tra- uh, Travis Hickey, that took me a minute, 2132. Scott Mayfield, 2134. And Nick Letty would play 2010. Thomas Grice would get 23 of 25 Red Wing shots. Again, looking at the, the minute spread for Detroit after a couple games after playing almost 20, De La Rose would play under 10, as would Christopher N. And as would Marty Furk, basically your third, uh, your fourth line there. Rasmussen played about twelve minutes a night. That's right about where he sits down into that twelve minute a night area. Athanasiu was only at sixteen oh five. You see some of his shot numbers going off on games where he's been rolling. And I don't all, this entire week didn't get a goal this week. Needs to pick it back up. That would be a big help, especially with the the guys down that are out of the lineup. Um, it would be big if Andreas Athanasiu could find a scoring touch. I don't, again, don't remember saying his name in the last four, either maybe an assist or two here or there, but no goals. Larkin would get two assists. He, again, would top the 20-minute mark. Um, Gustav Nyquist second with 19.03. I tell you, if this team ends up trading Nyquist, that's going to open up a lot of minutes up front. It will probably go to Michael Rasmussen, or at least you'd hope they'd go to Michael Rasmussen. Too early to tell, but boy, what a great season Nyquist has had, passing the puck 20 assists so far on the year to go with. I believe he scored a sixth goal um, earlier in the week. Defensively, again, as I mentioned, 26 minutes for Mike Green. Chalowski was over 22. Uh, Jensen over 21. Cronwall over 20. Erickson only played 13-39. I believe he went off injured in the game. I believe maybe not. I could be wrong on that one, but be very important for the Red Wings to kind of health up here if they can. Bernier only saw 19 shots, got 16 of them, as he would get the start for back-to-back starts um, against the Islanders. But it would be the Islanders able to get the victory. As final stats on the game, Detroit, again, shots 25-19. Detroit didn't really have much. They mustered down the stretch trying to get the equalizer in that one. The Islanders would be 1-4 for four on the power play. Another 0 for, for Detroit as they would be 0-3. for three. Another 20 giveaways for Detroit, while the Islanders only give it away eight times. Hits were 24-23 in favor of the Islanders, and block shots 14-11 in favor of Detroit. So that's how the week ended. A 1-2-1 and one week for Detroit. Three points. You know, last week I called for, for four. I wanted two wins, hoping for four points. A little off. Um, be really, really Real, real good if they could get that going again. That's for sure. But uh, that's currently where they stand right now. Um, their spot still okay. Uh, you know, we've talked about. I think last week they were two points out when we sat down. You know, at one point this week, if we were under the old format, they would have been the eight seed. Um, if they were just you know the standard top eight go, Detroit would have been the eight seed. Uh, that's really how you know still very much into the thick of things they are or were earlier this week. Now, they haven't fallen off. Don't, don't get me wrong, but there's now three teams in front of them being Carolina, Pittsburgh, and the Rangers. 
Montreal has the final wildcard spot with 33 points, Detroit with 30. They would be well advised as they have sl- slipped to 4-4-2 two, two, four, four, in their last 10 to see if they can get hot. And I just don't know with, with the injury bugs that they have if they're going to be able to do it. They need guys like Mantha and Helm in the lineup. Um, obviously, Bertuzzi served the two-game suspension, and he is back, and that's huge. But Detroit really going to need to to find it. And as we talked about last week, this schedule is not going to be getting any better, any easier for the Red Wings. Tomorrow may be a little bit of an easier one. Jonathan Quick, though, at any given time, he can shut you out. On Monday, the Wings will play at home, Little Caesars Arena. They get the Kings coming in 11-18-1 and 8th in the Pacific. So, I mean, this really feels like a must-win game for Detroit. They can't just they can't get no points in this game against the Kings because after that, as we said, they will head to Washington to play the Capitals on Tuesday, back, second of a back-to-back, two days off before playing the Senators, a team that's right there with them. Ottawa, one point behind Detroit. So Ottawa, who I'm sure they believe they're still in the thick of things, although they could be Detroit, that is, could catch a break with no Ryan or Duchesne in the lineup. And on Saturday, as another four-game week comes up, they go back, They go to Brooklyn to play the Islanders in the rematch. Um, and, and obviously the Islanders have shown that they can they can knock off Detroit. So big, big week for the Red Wings. Having said that, following this week, you know, the rest of the year, to Philly, to Carolina, home for Florida, who is only two points behind Detroit in what is a, just a jumbled mess. I mean, New Jersey sitting at last, they're only eight points out. Now, granted, not likely to make a run given the Thanksgiving step, but still kind of impressive to be where they are. After that game against Florida, they go to Toronto for a game on the 23rd. They go to Pittsburgh for a game on the 27th, to Dallas for a game on the 29th, and then the New Year's Eve game um, on the 31st. And right after Christmas, guys, I got news for you. It doesn't get any better in the new year. Calgary, Nashville, Washington, Montreal, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Anaheim, and Calgary. First, what, eight games to start the new year. Although, I, you know, who is an easy game to play? Who is it, is it easy to beat? I don't know if there's really anybody that you can you're taking a night off against. You know, they got the last wins kind of are against those middling teams though. So, another sign of kind of where this team's at. They got the victory over Boston. Yes, they're a wild card team, they're a playoff team. They had a good showing in the game against the Avs, a good showing in the game against the Lightning, a good showing in the game against the Leafs, but those were all losses. You know, they lost to Washington and and, and the shootout lost to Buffalo. Wins. Um, we mentioned the win against Boston. They beat the Jersey. Beat Jersey. Had a big win over Arizona. Had a shootout win over Carolina. Again, non-playoff teams. Um, they lose to Ottawa. You know, Vancouver. There's a shootout win against a non-playoff team. The Rangers, a non-playoff team. New Jersey, a non-playoff team. You got to go back to a game against Columbus back on October 30th. Outside of the one win against Boston, so they get a win against Boston and a win against Columbus. Those are the only Red Wing wins against playoff teams since uh, the beginning of November. That That's the one thing that's going to give you some pause about this team as they start playing more competition. Again, oddly enough, two wins against Boston, a team that had their number or has historically had their number. But I don't know. So it, it's going to be big for Detroit to get some points this week. Again, are we seeing the beginning of the end? I don't want to. I don't want to be all doom and gloom. It's possible though that, that things could take a turn here. Don't give up on the squad. Not telling you to give up on the squad. Montreal already up two nothing on Detroit, so they're going to expand their wild card lead 
they win that one, that's going to flip them over Boston, and then they'll be four points out. So Detroit's going to have to try to get it going, and they're going to have to try to do it without Anthony Mantha, one of the leading goal scorers. We'll take a look and see how they do that next week. Let's go ahead and take a look at the updated standings. Washington, Columbus, and the Islanders currently 1-2-3 in the Metro. Tampa, Toronto, and Buffalo currently 1-2-3 in the Atlantic. Tampa considered, or right now, the best team by far in the Eastern Conference with 47 points. Toronto, the only other team over 40 as they have 41 Boston and Montreal do have the wildcard spots locked down as of right now at 34 and 33 points, while the Rangers have 31, Pittsburgh, Carolina, and the Red Wings with 30. Meanwhile, let's go out west. We don't talk, haven't talked about the west a lot. Nashville trying to battle through injuries. They're 5-5. Five and five. Gotta be hope, They got to be thinking, let's just stay 500 as best we can down the stretch or during this stretch of hockey as they are playing. I know that they Forsberg, Arvidsson, um, Subban and Kyle Turris were all on the IR at the same time. Colorado and Winnipeg next in line in that division. Colorado tied with them. Winnipeg only one point behind. How about this? Calgary's jumped to the lead in the Pacific with 40 points. That's actually the best team now in the Western Conference, those 40 points. San Jose and Anaheim sit behind them. Dallas and Vegas have the wild card spots. Vegas holding that second wild card spot with 33 points, while Minnesota and Edmonton each have 32. Long hill to climb for Vancouver at 29 and Arizona at 28. And then just at the bottom right now, St. Louis with 24, the Kings and Blackhawks with 23. Folks, that's going to uh, do it for In the Box this week. Again, four games for Detroit after the game against the Kings uh, tomorrow night at Little Caesars. Business picks up big time. Hopefully, we will see if the Wings can keep up with it. It's a big week for Detroit. If they don't turn it around and get it going in the right direction, get some leads and then hold on to them and get some wins, they could find themselves in a deep hole. Let's keep our fingers crossed that's not the case. We'll come back, talk about it all next week. Thank you so much for listening to In the Box. I'm Thomas signing off. You have a good week, and we will talk to you next Sunday.